We dreamed of creating the world's strongest Pokémon. And we succeeded. I'm Luke Summerhays, and I love Mewtwo. The word clone has existed for centuries. In plants, bacteria, and fungus, cloning is a natural form of reproduction. In the 20th century, however, the idea of artificially cloning living beings, and even humans, has been a big part of pop culture. From Brave New World and Star Wars Clone Wars, to Jurassic Park's dinosaurs and countless evil doppelgangers of superheroes, clones are a science fiction mainstay. In 1996, around the time of the release of Pokemon Red and Green in Japan, science fiction began to become science fact. The world was shocked by the birth of Dolly the Sheep, a full clone of a mammal from only one kind of cell. The genetic age was upon us. Mewtwo is dope. There's no getting around that. Almost universally beloved by Pokemon fans, Mewtwo is that quintessentially cool, powerful anime monster. It moves with the prowling feline gait. It nonchalantly tosses enemies aside with psychic powers. It also has an interesting character and a genuine arc. Mewtwo has human-level intelligence and communicates eloquently through its telepathy. Mewtwo was to me what Vegeta was to many of my peers, the anime character about whom I used to watch ridiculous music videos on YouTube. A montage of this Pokemon looking cool and blowing up robots to Nickelback's hero or Linkin Park's in the end? Sign me up! I'm here for that every day of the week. In most of its in-game appearances, Mewtwo can be found in the Cerulean Cave, a sprawling dungeon to the west of Cerulean City, which can only be visited after defeating the Elite Four. Mewtwo is essentially the final boss of the Kanto games, a tradition he maintains in a number of side games. This cave, however, is not where Mewtwo was born. Cinnabar Island is home to the Pokémon Lab, where cloning technology can be used to revive fossils. Just to the north of this lab is the burned husk of a building, which once housed even darker genetic experiments. In the burned Pokemon Mansion, one of my absolute favorite moments of the original games take place. A series of diaries can be read, teasing out the backstory of Mewtwo in an atmospheric, uniquely video gamey piece of storytelling. July 5th, Guyana, South America. A new Pokémon was discovered deep in the jungle. July 10th. We christened the newly discovered Pokémon Mew. February 6th. Mew gave birth. We named the newborn Mewtwo. September 1st. Mewtwo is far too powerful. We have failed to curb its vicious tendencies. 
From these diary entries alone, it doesn't sound so sinister. Perhaps Mew was simply pregnant when it was discovered. The truth is found in Mewtwo's own Pokedex entries. In red and blue, the Pokedex says, It was created by a scientist after years of horrific gene splicing and DNA engineering experiments. It is worth remembering that real-life cloning, like in the case of Dolly the Sheep, does involve a live birth from a host mother. Other media, and later games, downplay this angle, instead opting to show Mewtwo being born in a big glass tube, more like the classic science fiction vision of a clone. It goes on. Ruby and Sapphire's Pokedex says, Mewtwo is a Pokemon that was created by genetic manipulation. However, even though the scientific power of humans created this Pokemon's body, they failed to endow Mewtwo with a compassionate heart. And Pokemon Gold explains, Because its battle abilities were raised to the ultimate level, it thinks only of defeating its foes. Cinnabar Island is based on Oshima Island, a real-world volcanic island to the south of Tokyo. Another infamously dangerous psychic. Another infamously dangerous psychic, who was experimented on as a child only to be betrayed by her creator and turn violent, was born on this island. Sadako, from the Ring books and movies. Knowing what we know about Mewtwo's tragic origins, it's no wonder it destroyed the lab in which it was created, and escaped to become a savage beast. Who was responsible for these genetic experiments? The clues are there to suggest that we have in fact met this person. In the Cinnabar lab in Fire Red and Leaf Green is a photo of Mr. Fuji, the kindly old man who takes care of Pokemon in Lavender Town. Another photo found in the gym depicts him posing with his friend Blaine, the fire-type gym leader. In these same games, we are told explicitly that Mr. Fuji is not originally from Lavender Town, and that Blaine's friend used to live in the Cinnabar Mansion. More clues can be found in Pokemon Emerald, which gave us a chance to catch Mew. When we visit Faraway Island, we find a note pleading that the next person who visits have a kind heart. The name is smudged, but in the Japanese version you can make out the last character, G. If it's only hinted in the games, it has been made explicit in adaptations like Pokemon Origins. Perhaps the guilt of creating Mewtwo and causing this destruction is what led to Mr. Fuji's dedication to taking care of other Pokemon. Mewtwo's lore makes it sound like an absolute monster, and its stats back that up. In the first generation especially, Mewtwo was unbelievably broken. The psychic type was overpowered already, and Mewtwo also had a ridiculous special stat. It held the Uber tier all to itself. Even in later games, when Mewtwo's brokenness was somewhat mitigated and other ridiculous legendaries had been introduced, Mewtwo has remained undeniably top tier. We see Mewtwo's origins in detail in the first anime movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back. 
Here, Mewtwo is born in a glass tube on New Island, created by Dr. Fuji. In this case, Dr. Fuji's motivation was an attempt to bring his dead daughter back from the dead. But in exchange for funding these experiments, he agreed to clone Mew for Giovanni. Team Rocket's involvement is not mentioned in the games, although fans have theorised that Giovanni's attempt to acquire first a Ghost-type Pokémon and then a Master Ball were based on a desire to catch Mewtwo. As a kid, Pokémon the first movie was the dopest thing in history. Seeing sick Pokémon battles and legendary monsters on the big screen was the most exciting thing ever. The poster depicted the Mewtwo vs Mew battle as though it were a title fight. This movie was what solidified Mewtwo as a favourite for many fans, myself included. The character starts the film confused and naive, made especially tragic with the 10 minute prologue film, in which its fellow clones slowly die off around it. After a brief spell wearing dope armour, Mewtwo feels betrayed by Giovanni and turns against humanity as a whole. It sequesters itself on New Island, clones a population of powerful Pokémon, and creates a storm to destroy the world as we know it. Through the intervention of Mew, and our good friend Ash Ketchum, Mewtwo learned a lesson which people all over the world would do well to remember. I see now that the circumstances of one's birth are irrelevant. It is what you do with the gift of life that determines who you are. In the manga, Blaine's involvement is played up. We even learn that Blaine's own DNA was used in Mewtwo's creation, causing its differences from Mew. Mewtwo of course appears regularly in Pokemon side games, like Pinball and Ranger, but it also appeared in Super Smash Bros. Melee. It later returned, first as DLC in Smash 4, and then as part of the Everyone Is Here push in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Unfortunately, Mewtwo is far from OP in Smash, often suffering from low speeds and weak attacks. Long after its inception, Mewtwo gained a new form. Mega Mewtwo Y was the first Mega Pokémon revealed, before the concept of Mega Evolution had even been announced. When the image first appeared, of the sleeker, smaller Mewtwo which somewhat resembles Mew, there was speculation that this was some kind of Mew 3 or a new evolution. When the games eventually did arrive, we actually had two Mega Revolutions. Mega Mewtwo X uses its psychic powers to boost Mewtwo's physical stats, bulking up into a ripped, swole version of Mewtwo's classic image. Let's Go's Pokedex says, Psychic power has augmented its muscles. It has a grip strength of one ton, and can sprint 100 meters in 2 seconds flat. Mega Mewtwo Y boosts the special stat instead, letting the physical body diminish as the mind expands. In this case, the Pokedex says, Despite its diminished size, its mental power has grown phenomenally. With a mere thought, it can smash a skyscraper to smithereens. For me, Mewtwo Y's design is by far the cooler one. It has a unique, interesting look, and seems to bridge the gap between Mewtwo and its ancestor, Mew. Mewtwo had a role in another fighting game, Pokken Tournament, 
in the arcades and on Wii U and Switch. Here we also get to see a Shadow Mewtwo, a raging form which has absorbed the Shadow Stone. Both Mewtwo and Shadow Mewtwo in this game can Mega Evolve into Mega Mewtwo X as their first move. Most recently, of course, Mewtwo appeared in Pokémon's first live-action movie, Detective Pikachu. For the most part, this was Mewtwo as we know and love it, but as well as the visual effects, there are a couple of interesting things about it. Firstly, the voice in this incarnation is a male and female actor speaking simultaneously, which is a cool telepathic effect. Also, due to events which I won't spoil, Mewtwo holds the high honour indeed of being the only Pokémon to have ever been portrayed by beloved British actor Bill Nighy. Longtime friend and advocate of the show Mikey from Pokémon Crossroads got in contact about Mewtwo with this to say. I got a story to tell about Mewtwo. I have never caught Mewtwo until Let's Go came out. Crazy, right? A person who has been a Pokémon fan since the early days of the franchise and runs a Pokémon site never caught Mewtwo. Well, there is a good reason for that. Due to bad levelling of my Pokémon and not knowing how to use items, I had a hard time overcoming Lance in Pokémon Red, to the point where I had dropped the game because I thought it was too hard. Well, one day while I was out, my cousin took my Red version and not only defeated Lance, but also captured Mewtwo. He stole my opportunity to catch Mewtwo from me. Well, I wasn't mad. A bit sad that I couldn't be there for my team to take down the challenge that was Lance. After all, I may have just used my Master Ball on Mewtwo. Since then, Pokémon trainers have been given plenty of chances to catch Mewtwo, from Heart Gold and Soul Silver, X and Y, and even in Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. I could have always gone on the search for Mewtwo and add him to my collection, though I was never really interested in doing that. Once I had beaten the game, I would rather do other things, such as EV training a decent competitive team. After all, what was the point in capturing Mewtwo if I couldn't use him in battle without being labelled a noob or going headfirst into Ubers on Smogon? So when it came to Let's Go, I figured now was the time to capture Mewtwo. After all, that was the only post-game there was to do in the game outside of Master Trainers. Now with the conviction of finally getting Mewtwo, my Pokémon and I went into Cerulean Cave the intention of catching Mewtwo. We stare down this man-made weapon of battle and grit our teeth. With a long gulp, I reach into my bag and threw out a Master Ball. And with that said, I have finally captured my first Mewtwo, outside of Pokemon Go. Was it worth the wait? Maybe, who knows? Bright side, I have a shiny Mewtwo in Pokemon Go on my first try, when I took part in that wave of Mewtwo raids. That was fun. Another friend of the show. Patreon supporter James J. Moyles had this to say. <clears throat> Mewtwo, to many people, and that includes myself, is the legendary Pokemon. I love that he's this threat lurking under your nose the whole time in Red and Blue. You, you find Cerulean Cave, um, perhaps when you first get Surf back in Red and Blue. You can't enter there, of course, until you've beaten the Leap Four. And then once you actually go in there and work your way through the depths, he's easily the most powerful Pokemon you'll have faced up to that point, maybe besides Gary or Lance's teams. But 
that threat, that final boss, essentially. That's what he is um, in Red and Blue. It's such a great moment, such a great battle. And I don't think other legends have really captured that feeling in the same way to me. Um, and I also love the kind of lore behind you two, you know, his creation of the fan theory behind what Giovanni's up to in Red and Blue, like him trying to get the self-scope to capture a ghost Pokemon and therefore capture a Mewtwo due to yeah, ghost advantage over psychic types. I love that's basically been confirmed as well with how Mewtwo and uh, Giovanni are portrayed in, in the anime with him capturing Mewtwo and the, the metal suit that Mewtwo is strapped up into and so on and so forth. Um, speaking of anime, I also really like <laughs> Mewtwo's resemblance to Lord Frieza from one of my favourite anime series, Dragon Ball Z. Um, I'm not sure if the reference uh, resemblance even is intentional. Um, it could be. Frieza was written before Red and Blue came out. Um, but, you know, the white and purple motif, the long sweeping tail, um, that's not even counting the later X and Y forms, which is any Dragon Ball Z fan will know that definitely plays into Frieza with his umpteen final forms he uses to face off against Goku and pals. Um, but yeah, all of that really reminds me of Frieza. And then actually, the cat-like face as well reminds me of um, Beerus from Dragon Ball Super, but that's definitely not intentional with that coming far later than Red and Blue, and that's as far as that comparison actually goes, just the cat-like features. To be honest though, he actually reminds me more of um, Gygus, um, which isn't the red swirling unknowable mass from Earthbound, but the final boss from Mother 1, or Earthbound Beginnings as we know in the West, who's like this cat-like alien final boss with a big sweeping tail, and genuinely if you look at the sprites, you could pass that off as Mewtwo, and I really think that alien idea really lends itself well to a final boss in my book, you know, the threat of something really truly unknowable it works really really well for your final enemy to take down especially like a hidden quote-unquote boss in pokemon red and blue because the goal is always going towards the elite four and i love that you find mewtwo in this cave and you don't really know what it is you've only heard whispers about it and i love that feeling yeah he probably is my favorite legendary pokemon and uh yeah like i said earlier on nothing's really captured the feeling in the same way to me mewtwo was firmly a favorite pokemon of mine for a long time it was a cool design, a deep character, and a badass warrior. In Pokemon Fire Red, I was desperate to acquire a shiny Mewtwo named Jade, so much so that I soft reset my game to try and find one. In the end, I actually gave up after around 100 attempts. What teenager has the patience for that? Music for Luke Love's Pokemon is composed by Jonathan Cromie. Artwork for the show is by Katie Groves. I research, write, record and edit this podcast myself, mostly for my own amusement. But hosting it on SoundCloud costs money and is supported by fans at patreon.com slash lukelovespkmn. Please support for only a dollar a month and in return you can listen to episodes a week early. Would you believe it? We've now covered the first 150 Pokemon, plus a few evolutions here and there. Of course we'll have Mew next week. And after that, I'll probably take a break to enjoy my new year. Then we'll head into many new Pokemon adventures in 2020. In the meantime, if you're enjoying the show, do me a favour this Christmas and spread the word. Rate and review on iTunes. Follow and get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at LukeLovesPKMN. Is there a Pokemon fan in your life? Link them to the episode about their favourite monster. I love Mewtwo. And remember, I love you too.